Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 27. This week, we talked to Rob Irving and Simon Jackson about maximizing ad performance. Where do old developers go? And how do Office apps share 95% of their code? Hey, this is Jason Young, and here is my co-host, the most interesting beard in the world, Carl Schweitzer. How's it going, Carl? Pretty good, Jason. Uh, I got a little bit of news. Yep. I've been accepted to speak at the Chippewa Valley Code Camp. And can you guess the topic? Uh, let's see. Windows, Windows Phone, Cortana. Hub, Sidewaffle. Oh, Sidewaffle. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you told me that too. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Sidewaffle. That's awesome. Yep. I'm pretty excited. So anybody who's going to be in uh, Western Wisconsin on November 15th, uh, stop on by. Very cool. Very cool. I, uh, I've never even heard of that conference. What, uh, What's the what's the deal? Like, how big is it and what type of audience is it? Well, it's uh, looks like to be several hundred uh, people are going to be showing up and uh, it, it covers all sorts of uh, development spheres, uh, not just Microsoft. Okay. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited to be. OK. There. And then we have uh, double your pleasure this week, not one, but two separate guests. So our first guest is Rob Irving. He's a Microsoft MVP for the Windows platform development uh, and he is a developer advocate for Ad Duplex. Welcome, Rob. How's it going? Hey, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, you want to give us a little bit of your background? Sure. So my full-time job is I'm a senior software engineer for ALK Technologies. I work on an app called Copilot. And in my free time, I like to make some of my own Windows and Windows Phone apps. So I was recently asked to uh, become a developer advocate for Ad Duplex. Um, and it's just a role I'm doing to try to help other developers be successful on the platform. Okay, so lots of cool stuff going on. Yeah. So, uh, and then we also have Simon Jackson. He is also a Microsoft MVP, but it's for the ID at Xbox program in the UK. Welcome, Simon. Oh, glad to be here. Yeah, you want to give us a little bit of your background? Oh, oh no, no, <laughs> so it's lo- no, so it's a lovely job for uh, the healthcare Arctic by day, which is largely boring. But by night, I'm a game development evangelist and uh, work with lots of developers to try and make good and interesting games, um, hence why I promoted to ID Xbox recently. Mm-hmm. And when not doing that, I was sort of splattering whatever spare time I got left around to uh, working with lots of different open source projects like Monogame or Adorotator or many other things. That is very cool. That, yeah, that's quite a contrast. Uh, it can be fun. Uh, <laughs> well, almost, almost as fun as trying to find time then to also write books, but yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you, you had mentioned that before the show. Is there anything you want to share about uh, the book you're, re- you're working on? Yeah, I've got one book out which uh, got released last August, which has just been re-released in its second edition after a few uh, little hiccups in publishing. But uh, yeah, it's a book on uh, Unity game development, which seems to have held it a lot of praise for its different approach to actually building game development. It sort of teaches you how to build games rather than just show you little bitty projects here and there. So okay. does the full life cycle? Does the full life cycle? And now working on a second book again for Unity, but it's on the new Unity UI. So it's uh, interesting trying to build books on beta software. Okay, very cool. I'm going to check out that book. Right on Amazon or Packet. Anyway. Yep, I already found it. It looks like it's this uh, Mastering Unity 2D Game Development. That's the one. That's okay, the one I already found it. It's already, <laughs> my, 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 my cursor is hovering right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> hovering over the body. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's jump into the news. So what do we got, Carl? How to stop voodoo programming? Yep, I found this uh, article, and what its uh, theory is is that a lot of people they run across a, a problem in, uh, with some code, a bug, or whatever, and they'll just go out and Google or search for the error code, find some a solution that works on Stack Overflow, and just kind of paste it in, find that it works, and just they don't even understand the code that's going. Sounds on. good to me. i'm I'm guilty of that (laughs) we all are but you know a lot of times if you don't understand why it's making it better it might not actually be fully solving your problem it might just be covering up a side effect that's going on and this is just kind of you know points out to be aware of when you're doing things that you know aren't really a best practice and he uh goes over a few things to uh, to correct these such as learn to write uh unit tests you know start with a failing test right that's that that's how you do it uh learn to read the uh stack trace um uh read the code of the dependencies you're using a lot of times you use things that are on github or it's javascript and in the case of bootstrap it's css um you know all these things are open to us if we understand what's going on we're less likely to just do some band-aid fix that might just be passing along the problem for another you know a couple of months right right yeah i like this first one here where he's talking about writing a, a failing test 
Um, I found that technique to be pretty good. I mean, it, it doesn't work in all code because it, you know, the, the, the code has to be semi unit testable, but if you can go through and, and understand it through tests, you're actually understanding it before you're, you know, modifying that code and, and you'll actually get a really good understanding of that. And then you'll make sure that, you know, you avoid what you were talking about where you, you fix the code and you're taking a step forward instead of taking, you know, one step forward, two steps back. So I think that's really good advice. Yeah, probably. I'd probably said there is value in some of those things. It's just a case of don't get, take it on a first case, first test basis. It's like shop around and compare what all things are doing. I mean, as Carl says, it's learn what what and how it's doing it rather than just copying and pasting. Yeah, I've I've as as I've gone on, I've tried to I've tried to become a little bit more methodical with this kind of stuff because yeah, I've done a lot of that in the past, and it sort of promotes ADD and and just uh, you know slapping a bandaid on it. And really, what you're doing is you're you're racking up some some short term technical debt that you're just going to have to come back to, and then it just makes it worse because you're just jumping between projects. So it's like you know finish it so that you can move on, and and that way, whenever you have to come back, you're usually coming back to you know a different issue. Yeah, it's treating it like that, just like proof and concept code. Just like test it, understand it works, and then work, find a way to do it better. Mm-hmm. So good advice, Carl. So what do we got next? Uh, next, there is an announcement that there's new capabilities for developers to promote their uh, apps in the uh, in Pub Center, okay. which is micro- which is kind of appropriate to today's topic. It's Microsoft's uh, ad network, and some of the big announcements was now before it was just really supported Windows Phone. Now it supports uh, Windows apps as well. And uh, in addition, it, it's they've expanded the uh, the country lists or the markets as as well okay. uh, to include like Canada, New Zealand, Ireland, uh, you know, South Africa. So uh, that's huge. Okay. And uh, I feel that you know this is kind of a huge thing because if you're writing your first app, for at least when I wrote my first app that I wanted to put advertising in, I look towards the Microsoft solution first, since, you know, this is a Microsoft platform. I'm going to at least start with their ads. And that's all you need, right, Carl? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think we'll let our experts this week chime in on that one. No, you're right. This is definitely timely because this is, this is perfect because I'm, I'm working on an app and uh, I'm thinking about putting advertising in it. I definitely don't want to charge for it. I just think, think I'm going to turn off an entire audience. So I want to put ads into it. So this is this is extremely timely because I I need to figure out if this is what I want to do or or you know what my options are. So this is perfect. And it's certainly a welcome change because I mean over the history of advertising as well, working on a lot of different providers, different things is that yes, Pub Center used to be fantastic, especially mm-hmm. in the US. People are seeing huge returns, and it's been slowly dwindling to almost nothing over time. Um, so this is a welcome infuse of uh, enthusiasm in the platform as well to actually see something coming back again. So okay. it's good to see myself investing in it again. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. This one was very interesting, Carl. PowerPoint, modern app sharing more than 95% of lines of code between the universal universal version and the Android version. What's your uh, What's your take on this? This is very cool. Well, one of the things I found really interesting is there's a lot of talk nowadays between, you know, sharing your code using like C Sharp and Xamarin mm-hmm. or portable class libraries or, you know, a multitude of or different HTML, things. Or HTML, yeah. Exactly. But what this uh, brought up is Microsoft is sharing their existing C++ code base across um, their Windows platforms and their Android platforms. And in the case of PowerPoint in particular, they can share somewhere around 96% of the code to be the mm-hmm. same. And they said one of the things that they've done is in the past, when they first tried to do something like this and it failed miserably, they just tried to create this huge abstraction layer that covered everything. And um, I think they call it uh, platform abstraction layers. Like anytime they need a very specific you know, thing to be abstracted out, they abstract just that little thing each time. And using this technique, they can extend all of their existing C++ code and keep as many features as consistent as they can across all of the different versions of their application. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, C++ is, is like one of the few completely, you know, portable um, languages that you can use. And, you know, it's, it really is just that top layer. And I know that Xamarin sort of fills that gap. And like you mentioned, all these, these other platforms do it, but um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of these, uh, these really thick, I don't, I don't want to say heavy, you know, just a lot of code in these big applications. Sometimes C++ is just the way to go. Yeah, I really like this article. Um, this is actually what my company does with our, our main app, Copilot. It's like 98% shared C++ code between okay. Android, iPhone, and Windows. So, you know, we've had the C++ code base for years. It wouldn't make any sense for us to switch to Xamarin. Right. So this is just a great option if you have a large C code base. 
Yeah. And I mean, if that, if that code is, you know, not really, um, platform dependent, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that code is going to, it's going to work everywhere and it's going to presumably last, you know, just about forever. Yeah. Yeah. I saw just a discussion on this on Twitter this morning too, uh, talking about, you know, you know, doing it like this in C++ is the hard way. But there was a really good point. If this is already something existing, it's not hard. It's battle-tested code that you already have. So you're really just, you know, making this as simple as possible. Yeah, there's a a ton of value. There's way more value in that than what you might think, just having executed that code right on the two platforms and that that actually brings up a good issue with with html you know just because you've done it on one platform doesn't mean it's going to work right i mean chrome chrome on windows versus mac even works different i mean there's there's still subtle differences there and um you know c plus plus i i suppose there's there's probably instances that i'm not aware of where where that happens but you know i would think in general um it's designed to deal with some of those differences and it's just it's just a non-issue I don't know what your experience has been, Rob, if, if that's, if that's been the case, if the code, you know, has, you, you really, you know, you're writing these algorithms and, and you've, you know, you're battle testing it and it really has not been an issue across the platforms. Yeah. You're not really going to find too many issues of, you know, the C++ code acting differently between platforms. Um, You just need to work at all the different platform APIs and abstracting that to the level where, you know, your common C++ code base can work with it reliably. Right. Yeah, we see this a lot, especially in the game development world. I mean, you look at the likes of Unity, which is a C++ backend and ports across all the different platforms. Granted, they're moving to their own sort of native compiler these days now. Mm-hmm. Um, forget the name of IL compile, some IL CPP or something like that. It's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to see what they're doing. It's, it's going down to the right to the native level. And you look at the likes of Monogame. Granted, that's run on Xamarin, but again, that cross compiles down. So there's certainly a lot of advantage in trying to have C++ cross-platform network it's just there is that difficulty barrier getting if you're not not used to it not aware of it and have to work and it's it can be tricky right yeah and it's funny you know working for microsoft i i i talk to people and 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 they'll bring a scenario like this and say what should i use you know what's good for cross-platform and sometimes you know me or other people say well in that case c++ makes sense and they're like why are you suggesting c++ and it's like well because it's the best tool for this particular job, you know, it's definitely not for everybody. I mean, it's probably still the the minority case where it makes sense, but there's places where it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it is the ultimate right one to use many. Just, just it is the difficulty in architecting it right. It right. has to be right to work. That's the that's the tricky bit. But once you've got that, then sky's the limit. Okay, you built a keyboard, Carl, or somebody did. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't. I know. But- I, I like this article because as a developer, we all kind of get picky about our equipment. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people who can get into some serious discussions on their keyboards. And this uh, this gentleman uh, who wrote this article just kind of went through the steps that he took as he built his first keyboard. And it gets down to, you know, how, how and why he picked the switches, how he soldered it all together. You know, the lessons that he learned on, you know, just making the layout and all of that. And as, you know, somebody who isn't going to make his own keyboard. This is somewhat aspirational, but uh, I, I can definitely appreciate why somebody would want to do that. Wow. This is, this is crazy. This is a long article too. Holy cow. Yeah, it is. The The only thing I disagree with him on is that if he, he makes a comment that if you are going to be soldering something, you will get burned. Um, <laughs> now a, a little, a little unknown tip of, or fact about me is I uh, am certified um, on NASA level specs for micro soldering. Well, of course. So I, <laughs> and I can't remember the last time I burned myself soldering, but other than that, th- there's a lot of things that, you know, if you're the first time into making uh, a physical piece of hardware, uh, this would be a, a really good. Read. Yeah. No, this is pretty cool. I, is, it looks like it has the gigantor keys too, that are like, you know, 150 decibels whenever you press them. I, did he comment on that at all? Yeah. He has the cherry MX uh, okay. Yeah. Cause some people just like live and die by those things. I, for me, I have a, a low profile keyboard and I really like that. I just, I need like the least amount of uh, travel per key. And even like my surface pro three, I love the, the keys on that. Um, but yeah, some people love their gigantor clicky, um, keys where, you know, you actually get a workout typing. No, yeah, I'd have to agree with Carl. So. Oh, I have to remember that Americans call it soldering. We call it soldering over here. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> we, right. We have the L, you have the L in there. Uh, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody just don't touch the hot bit at the end. That's be fine. Yeah, but, uh, and, and if you if you do that enough, I, I think you work up an immunity to the uh, to the heat anyway. I was gonna say I'm, I'm I've burned myself plenty of times, but I, I I think 
I think I've just, uh, I just have an immunity to it now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever really burnt myself soldering, but uh, I have shocked myself trying to do 240 volt live testing, <laughs> nice. which I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. It's, you, you certainly learn very quickly not to do that very often. Nice. Yeah, I was at, um, I was at a, a company over in uh, Germany and they had this demonstration with a, uh, what was it? It was a, uh, would have been like a two gauge wire. So it was, it was really thick Ooh. and, uh, they pumped, uh, they're, they're like, Oh, feel this wire. And we, we felt it. And they said, okay, now stand back. And there's no cage or anything around it. And they said, we're going to pump, uh, I think it was 8,000 volts through. And I don't know what the amperage was. And they did that. And the wire is like jumping around and it's, you know, like the thing was super loud. And then he flips the switch and the whole thing seemed like not very safe at all. And he's like, now touch it. Like there's no power running through it. Like, no, none of us, <laughs> could not get any of us to touch it. That uh, it was just, it was just unbelievable. I mean, that wire was, it just looked like it was like an excruciating pain. Uh, no, thank you. I'm not, not probably, red, probably red, hot, probably red hot as well. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I don't know. I, di- I didn't want to touch it. <laughs> don't blame. Yeah. So what do we got here? Where do old devs go? Oh, I saw this one from my Um, Oranini posted this one. He was talking about, you know, he, he's looking at, you know, hiring people mm-hmm. and he was looking at some of the salary charts and he noticed that a lot of the public information really doesn't show developers, you know, beyond a five-year experience. And, you know, as you thought more about it, you know, as he's looking at like all the uh, resumes he's received, there's hardly anybody in their forties and he can't remember the last time anybody in their fifties, you know, submitted something. Mm -hmm. And really what do developers do when they get up in that age other than move to management or leave the field entirely? And he says, you know, he is willing, he, he likes older developers. He likes people with that experience and his intentions are to keep people in their jobs as long as they, you know, they want to do it like that. And, you know, I, I just thought this brought up quite a few, you know, interesting questions as somebody who's always evaluating his career prospects, you know? Yeah, this is interesting. And, and actually one, one sort of inside information, it's kind of cool that he called out Microsoft here because he was talking about the the title of distinguished engineer and technical fellow. So my my boss's boss is actually a, a technical fellow. And um, what's what's interesting in my conversations with him, he talked about how in in Microsoft the the technical path is is such a good path to be on. I mean, it's it's one of the companies where like you're encouraged to you know if you want to stay in that path, you can actually do that and keep progressing your career. And I think uh, you know a lot of companies like this sort of alludes to or you you mentioned start to get older and start to push people into management. And um, um, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, this chart is is crazy. Yeah, ten plus years of experience. I mean, I'm I'm in that in that group, but I guess I'm not applying for a job right now, so I'm not on his chart. <laughs> well, I must admit, I mean, I guess problem was as you get older, you tend to do more of your own things and try to do your own work elsewhere. You don't really go looking for a job to do programming again. It's more you look for more the fun in programming rather than trying to work at programming these days. Yeah, but uh, I certainly can't see myself ever going to management. I'll probably be coding till I die. Yeah, yeah, and I've been I've been on both sides of it, and uh, you know, there's there's pros and cons to both. And what's what's tough is whenever you you know, I, I think people like me, I I start to, I started to get a little bit away from the code, and and I I missed it, and you know, took a job where I was able to, to come back to that at least uh, at least for part of my job. You know, so I get to do a little bit of uh, architect uh, development, you know, a little bit of everything. But uh, yeah, this is. This is really interesting how, I mean, it's like, it goes down to zero basically for 10 plus years over. So I'd like to understand that a little better, but. I saw that. Get to the the point of where where you can't do, you start teaching. Yeah. (laughs) Teaching people how to do proper architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe people who have uh, more than 10 years experience start to realize that, uh, you know, they're they're just like, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know anything. So I'm just going to say I have one to two years of experience. (laughs) (laughs) Just not giving themselves the Fair credit. Uh, oh, and then I put this one on here, Carl. So I don't know how I missed this last week, but uh, Build 2015, the uh, dates were announced, April 29th through May 1st. So who's going? I asked my boss if I can go, so uh, hopefully that gets You don't approved. know yet? Okay. I will, uh, if I see him, I'll talk to him for you. Say Carl has to so, go. Yep. Mike and Kenny, if you're listening to this, <laughs> hint, hint. I went okay. the last two years. I'm hoping to go again. Okay. Well, we should definitely meet up then. I'll, I'll, uh, I should be there. That's like the one, uh, the one big Microsoft conference that I go to every year. So that would be, uh, that would be exciting. So you can't, there's, you know, you can't sign up or anything yet. Um, but the, the web page is up. So I just wanted to, uh, let everybody know so they can mark their calendars. Are we taking bets on how fast it'll uh, sell out again this year? 
Yeah. I, what was it yeah, last year? I think it was an That's hour. The last two or three years, it was about an yeah. hour. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and and I know two years ago, it took two minutes to sell out of the uh, early bird tickets. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know last year I, I, that uh, it was expanded a little bit because of the interest. So there were some some seats added, um, but I think those sold out again in like five minutes. Yeah. So yeah, just, if, if you want to go, make sure you watch this. And I don't know when the uh, tickets are going on sale, but make sure you watch that and just uh, jump on there at that exact time. Yeah, it's one of those events I'd probably love to go to, but uh, cost of getting there from over here is usually a little bit high. Yeah, I, is, <laughs> is there any um, any build event over there in the UK? Nope, sadly not, no. Because uh, there is TechEd. The, yeah, we got, yeah, TechEd. I think that happened in Barcelona last year, which was not too bad. Unfortunately, I was traveling at the time. So. Yep. And uh, supposedly this is my first year as MVP. There was the MVP Summit, but as it turned out, my group aren't going to be there. So. <laughs> okay. So unless I go just to socialize, it'll be interesting. Okay. So let's talk about ads. So we got the, the best two guys on here to talk about ads. So I guess first we wanted to start off. I just had, again, I'm working on a, on an application, uh, a windows phone app. It's going to be amazing. Um, any day here, whenever I publish it, Carl's been helping me with it on and off, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, I, I want to sell it for free or I guess it's not selling it. I want to give it away for free just because I want to reach as many people as possible, but I wanted to kind of get your feedback on, you know, Anybody who's deciding to, if they want to charge for an app or if they want to support it with ads, you know, how do they go about making that decision? Sure. Uh, I guess it really depends on the type of app you're making. Uh, ads work really well in some types of apps and they don't really work really well in others. So if it's okay. a game or content consumption or some type of social media, then you could probably do really well with ads because the user is going to stay in your app for a while and the ad will just keep refreshing. But if it's like a tool or utility app, then you're probably not going to get much out of it. Oh, that's not good. People will actually not spend any time in my app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so if they're spending yeah. a lot of time in their ads are good. If they're not, maybe I should consider charging something for it or, or adding some kind of feature with in-app purchases. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In-app purchase is certainly a good way to go. In it's, it's it's actually, I spent an entire chapter in my, in my book going through just this whole part about monetization. It's interesting the amount of feedback of people who like that there and people who just don't like that there. It's very yeah. mixed. But it is hard to find that sort of core sweet spot because also, in, as Rob will allude to, with, you have either ads which are going to be paid ads or you've got ads which are going to be ad exchange. So you're actually promoting your app rather than trying to sell your app. Mm -hmm. The aim to actually try and get as many people using it and then flipping it over at some point to actually putting in paid ads in there. There's lots of different ways that can be done. And whether it's a case of you've got a constant ad on the screen or whether you're actually using sort of interstitials to sort of flip in, flip out as you're going through loading screens. Mm -hmm. It's there is there is no one way will make you lots of money. But realistically with if you're going down an ad route, you need millions of people using your app every day to actually get the impressions and then for those small few people who actually will click on those ads to get the extra revenue from actual people interacting. So how can I kind of implement ads in my app? So they're not annoying, but yet they're effective because as a user, if I see something that's too annoying, I just might get rid of the app entirely. Well, ironically, there's, there is one school of thought where you have ads in a good particular place and then you simply have an in-app purchase to turn off ads or Although we see better better feedback from people who actually offer like a support our app, or if you buy this, then we'll turn off ads and you'll get something else extra. So you don't look at just ads as a revenue option; you look at ads as to as get buy-in or to get support. And some of the best advice we have is that if you're just going to have a remove ads option, don't just have one price point; have mm -hmm. several. And you'll like to be surprised how many people are quite willing to support you better not just to remove the ads, but to help support your app as well. So, okay. Yeah, I actually, I, to be honest, I've done that, right. I've, there's been a, a couple apps that I used and they had the in-app purchase to remove the ads and the ads actually didn't bother me, but I, I just, I, I saw it as removing the ads and supporting the developer. Um, yeah. because the, you know, the developer, I, I, you know, for the apps that you use, I mean, just as a user, just think about that, you know, you want them to stay around and keep supporting that app. So just throw them a couple bucks. You know, there's uh, I know there's some comics out there. I think it was, uh, was it XKCD or was it, maybe it was the oatmeal where he was talking about that. You know, he's at, he's at Starbucks getting his latte and they're like, Oh, do you want to, you know, King size that for like another dollar and sure. And he goes out and buys, you know, like a, the most expensive MacBook pro and then comes home and there's a 99 cent ad. He's like, no way. That's a rip off. <laughs> you know, it, it, 
we need to we need to look at these things in 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 perspective right and uh um you know just throw a couple bucks at it if if that's what it um takes to help support that developer okay very interesting yeah Um, what we also what we probably also see is that um (laughs) not that you yes i'm a microsoft but we see a lot of stats around these days that um as ad revenue goes the microsoft platform is some of the ones the biggest growing i mean yes you've got you your Androids, which are almost all free apps with usually ads right. everywhere. And you've got your iOS ones in there. But for actual ad revenue, my, the Microsoft platforms suddenly see the ones that are growing the better because they're getting the better feedback from it and they seem to have the better kind of design into it. And it's almost a better acceptance as a platform that where they're putting those things in. Uh, I think people generally are, they expect free ads from Android, Android platforms, so they expect ads and they just leave them there going and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of middling ground with the Apple and iOS kind of, Worlds. Yeah, that's. That, I think that's a good observation. I mean, I've seen a lot more passion around Windows Phone, right? It seems like Windows Phone users they 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 chose the device with intent. At least at least here in the U.S., I know that there's a whole bunch of low cost Windows phones that are that sell very well outside the U.S. But within the U.S., anybody who has a Windows Phone, they seem to be seems to be very deliberate. Whereas you have a lot of people that you know go to the store and and sort of the default is a is an iPhone or an Android device. And it's just like, yeah, I just need a phone that, that does, you know, that has Facebook on it or whatever. And they just, they get one of those devices and they might not feel the same way about those apps and be willing to support them. I don't know if test to see if they bend or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you could, uh, you could probably, I should make a video with my, my Nokia 1520. I'll have to go buy an Apple 6 Plus and I can use my Nokia to actually bend the, the iPhone. It's indestructible. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, I still, I still, it still sticks with me. The video they did when the original uh, nine hundred came out on the engineer hammering a nail into it and then taking a phone call. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, they're definitely sturdy phones, that's for sure. So let's uh, let's talk about Ad Rotator. This looks like an interesting project. Uh, can you tell me what Ad Rotator is all about? You want to take that one, Simon? <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, oh, I mean, Rob is our newest member, but I suppose I'm a bit hold a hat in it. So. Uh, Ad Rotator started way back in the old Windows Phone 7 days now by uh, one Gurgler or Oz. He's, uh, he's actually an engineer at Skype now. now. And then I eventually joined the crew. But what it basically is, is that we aim to sort of give platform, give people and platforms and games the opportunity to sort of spread their wealth and information about what ads and ad revenue they can support. Traditionally, people have been putting like one ad in here and... Hoping, hoping for the best that actually that ad's going to generate revenue or is going to get impressions or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And what ad rotator, ad rotator sorry, tends to do is that it gives you the option to actually support multiple ad providers all from within one control. So I can put in uh, Somato, I can put in Ad Duplex, I can put in PubCenter, I can put in, in Mobi or various other different ad networks we support. Um, but what generally sets ad rotator, ad rotator apart from a lot of there's a few others that do it, but most of them sit by the wayside. The one thing that sets it apart really is that you can also do the configuration offline, remotely. So you can actually set your configuration for how you, how you want your ads to display in the ad rotator control and keep changing it without having okay. to rebuild or redeploy and send your app to it. There's lots of other little things that's in there just to really enhance and build on the experience. So does it go out and pull down that configuration then from somewhere? Is that what you're saying? Yep. Okay. Yep. Every time, so well, how do you do you that? Get, yeah, well, you've got one configuration with ships. You ship with the app, obviously, so it's there at startup when you need to. Okay. Um, but then you just give it, basically, you give it a website URL to point to, and it'll just go there, and if it can reach it, more importantly, if it can reach it, it'll grab that, download it, cache that, and then start using that configuration to actually start putting the ads through. Um, to date, now you can either rotate, you can actually have it randomly select from your choice of ad providers you've got based upon a prob- probability for each ad provider. So you can put a high percentage on pub center or a medium percentage for something else. And then we always recommend our duplex to be there at the background as the ultimate fallback because our provider do not guarantee to deliver you an ad. They'll just try their best. Um, and then with the configuration online, you can sort of change that. Um, that comes really into its own because most ad providers have different categories. So like one day health might be a big cash opportunity for the amount of ads get through it. The next day it's entertainment, the next day it's sports. And if you monitor it and manage it carefully, you can certainly boost your ad revenue from just going through that. Okay, very cool. Yeah, that, that was actually one thing that really caught me off guard the first time that I implemented ads. I used PubCenter, and 
I realized that, hey, I'm not seeing anything on my screen. I'm not getting an ad. And it wasn't until afterwards that, you know, I did a little bit more research and found out that some of these ad networks might only fill an ad, you know, one to 3% of the time at best. Yeah. So, yeah. Plus you also get, the, what you also get is that you get regional variances. So as I said before, Pub Center was always very strong in the US, but for the rest of the world, you are almost never going to get an ad because the, simply because these ad providers, they sell their network for people to put ads in. And if you're not interested in, say, an Asian market or uh, an East African market, then they just simply didn't have any ad rev- ads to actually display. So you got nothing, not even a test one. So does does Ad Rotator actually know when the ad is not there and then is able to switch providers, or or does it not work like that? Exactly no, no, uh, <laughs> that's one capability it's got into it. So okay. It can detect well, it can detect providing the ad, ad network tells us. Uh, there's a certain network that doesn't tell us at the moment, so we should rename nameless. Um, but when it tells us they can't fulfill ads, usually they send an error back. And ad rotator goes, oh, right, you're not delivering ads right now. I'm going to put you in a bucket over here, and I'm going to just work through whatever the rest is going. But what really brings it to own is own, really, is that not only can just have one set of configuration, you can actually have a different set of configuration per region. So if you find that, say, Smart is doing really good in, like, European regions, then you'll put Smarter really high over there. If PubCenter is doing you really high in the US, then in the US, you put PubCenter at the top so you can have different sets of configurations for each different region. That is awesome. This, so so this, must, uh, this must be, what, hundreds of dollars? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, we wish. No, Adrotator <laughs> is, is completely free, although we do ha- accept generous donations. Okay, I'm just thinking in the back of my head, like, why wouldn't I use this? This, sounds, this, is, this, is, this just fits the bill for sure. Yeah, it's free out the box. We support it for free. It's a lot of hard work and dedication by a lot of uh, generally giving people. Um, all we really ask is that uh, if you're using it and you're making money off it, then think of us in the background to say hi. So you, you, you were talking about it having regional uh, capabilities. Like if I notice that all of a sudden there's a, a new Chinese ad provider, can I just plug that into Ad Rotator, or, are there all, or does Ad Rotator only work with specific uh, ad uh, provider services? Right. As of today, then, there's about seven ad providers we, we actually work actively with. Um, we do constantly keep reviewing and, and checking new providers as people suggest them to us. Uh, we recently reviewed Leadbolt and one other, I think it was. Um, but they weren't really a good fit because their APIs themselves weren't brilliant. But that's not to say that's not what we've done for the future because in the version, we're actually in version two of AdRotate at the moment, which is sort of a a new beast because it has a lot of new capabilities and functions that the old version didn't have. Um, but one of the things we did have in the old version was actually, was actually a web API style of control. So in that essence, if you wanted to plug in a third-party um, provider that has a web API interface, in the future, yes, you could do that. Just not yet today. We're getting there, moving forward as slowly as we can because uh, this is our free time we do this in. So, I, I have a question for you, Carl. Are you, are you using this yet? Yeah, actually, I am in my speedometer. Oh, okay. Did, what did you did you use that from the start, or did you um, use the Pub Center? At first, I just did Pub Center for a few months until I kind of realized how poor the the fill rate okay. was. And and then what, once I implemented this, I, I did notice uh you know much better performance and more consistent feel of the app. Okay. As well. Was it pretty easy to integrate? It was super okay. simple. Yeah, for our listeners, the listeners probably think, you know, we do this show for them, but it's actually just for me. I, <laughs> I, I learned so much from the show. So that's why that's why I'm asking these questions, because I'm, I'm genuinely interested. I used to have a actually I still have a, a website that uh, um, has ads on it. And I think I had it up for about a year and it was doing pretty good. And and until I went through and I, I just decided to optimize the ads one time and my revenue went up 10x. So, I mean, I have personal experience that, that this can, you know, picking the right ad provider and that can, can do that. So it, this is huge. Yeah. If you manage it correctly, you really can get a really good revenue return on it. But it's one of these things, if you simply stick it somewhere and leave it going, then it's going to do middling well. But if you manage it, even if it's on a monthly basis and just checking what the ad providers are going to do, what's hot. Um, granted, it's not always easy because the ad providers don't want to tell you what's the most paying network that's going but it is it's, that's how it is um but one other feature i suppose i should mention as well is that uh, ad rotator doesn't just do everyone else's ads you can actually even do your own and in one i think one of the previous shows i think we're on the the app bit in fact alan's app bit devs podcast um it was pointing out the fact that one 
person who'd actually implemented it, what they actually did was sell their own ad space. So they actually took uh, people's took money off people saying, right, well, we will advertise you in our app and there's your ad. And they actually have it so they can have your own ad displayed in their app, rotated around. And with version two, that's even simpler now because we know you support having multiple of those within your app. And that's both on the device and also remotely. So just the same as the XML configuration can remember in remote, you can even put your own ads remote and update them, refresh them and do whatever you like. That's pretty cool. Now, if, if I wanted to prioritize the, the best paying ads, I would have to do all that footwork myself and then just update that, that configuration file remotely then? Yeah, like I said, there's several modes that configuration file can work now. Um, as of the previous, last previous release, which is the version 201 release, you can either have it, say, you can have it random. So it'll randomly select an ad, and then if it fails, it'll throw it in the bucket and then continue on randomizing the rest. You can now also set your own order of ads so that if you want your most best pain providing right up front, always until it fails, then fall down to your second best favorite one. You can have it that way. Or you can have it just simply on a run it on an ordered sequence now. So they can say, right, display ad provider one, ad provider two, ad provider three, start ad provider one, and round, 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 the merry-go-round you go. So lots of flexibility for that for that configuration. Okay, so so basically what I have to do is I have to log into the ad networks and I sort of have to divide revenue by number of impressions and that'll that'll give me the, um, you know, I guess the the revenue per click then. Is that is that how I'm sort of optimizing that? Yeah, you'll see you'll see different things, the different measures for looking at what you know, how well the advertised networks are doing. Granted, the most difficult one is PubCenter, although there is actually an app on Windows Phone which shows you about how to what the best revenue options are on there, but it can only show you for your region because they lock these things down. But most ad networks themselves, if you look at their dashboards when you're on their networks, they'll give you'll give you the right. sort of the best categories in some cases, um, and they'll show you on your analysis for yours. Uh, your current both impression rate or the ECPM rate and also the click-through rate, which are both different rates themselves. Right. And you'll see anything from sort of, uh, say, eight cents, per, 8 cents per thousand impressions to anywhere up to, I think it's in the highest, is about 80 cents per hundred impressions in some cases. That's okay. extreme, though. Yeah, because I, I was using uh, Google Ads and... Um I I basically put I had an A B rotate it was a similar control I actually built it myself though for this case for the web and it would rotate through and it was shocking because it wasn't wasn't just that the biggest ad had the best revenue it was you know it was this one particular size I think it was a square ad that was like two hundred by two hundred and for whatever reason it made ten x more money than than any other one and I was actually um, I haven't checked it lately but um, I think it, because of the type of content that I had on there and the types of ads that it was matching, it was almost a dollar per click. And, uh, Oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah the click revenue is always a lot higher. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen upwards of, I think $3 per click in some things, but yeah, it's, it's almost like the stock market in a sense, sense that you're playing because they'll be up one day, they'll be down the next. And like I say, a lot of them do different, uh, categories. A lot of them do different re pay in different regions. And it is just a balancing act to work across them all. Mm -hmm. um, it's fine. The news news site. There's lots of news sites and things that do on this, and we don't generally promote or advertise a lot of those. It's a case of find what works for you. Uh, you know, we'll help guide you through past experiences. The problem is, like the stock market, there is no one experience. It changes daily, changes weekly, and it's a difficult thing to keep on track of. But again, it's how serious are you about your revenue for your app itself? Right, right. So, what was the uh, biggest thing you learned whenever you guys were working on this? Oh, don't use one provider. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, well, not not just that. I mean, that's for sure. You know, the the optimizing of the of the ads, but actually building the control itself as well. Right. Anything uh, surprising? Oh well, the the one thing that surprises me every day. Um, remind me, Rob. I must speak to Alan about this again. Uh, is that um, ad controls are a pain in the backside to implement when you're trying to build a common interface. Um, but yeah, building out rotator, when you're working with so many different partners that you're trying to then unify all that into one common configuration and one common way of doing things is extremely different. Mm -hmm. um, more so these days now, unfortunately, with WinRT components because uh, we start we use reflection in version 2 to make our life easier so we can unify a lot of these things and make it a lot quicker and easier. So it's just down to small bits of configuration, but you throw WinRT components in the mix and then that goes all out the window. So you have to find new, new way, new, new, new ways of doing things. So it's always interesting. Um, but by far, one of the biggest pains is that 
when we get providers who have controls for several different versions, so say if they have it for Windows Phone 7, Windows Phone 8, 8.1, Windows 8.1, universal apps, that they use a different namespace for every single version of their control. <laughs> that is by far the biggest pain in at all, because it means we have to... We, it's a pain for us because we have to manage that. Mm-hmm. And then when they rename it from version to version, it really does throw us out sometimes. So we're constantly playing catch up on those. And um, we don't always have the time to monitor this all the time. So it's generally on an issue by issue basis. But someone sort of goes, oh, it's suddenly not working with this release. And we have to jump our, jump our hands on ship to go and change the configuration. It might be only a minor change because the way AdRotate is built now, it's very, very flexible there's a lot of sort of architecture in there to try and manage things so there's a very small core bit of configuration for managing providers now so it's a lot simpler to change but it's a pain to have to keep going back and doing it okay and i think i saw all this the all the source code is on uh, github right oh yeah um like i said it's, it's all open source Very it's cool. all there for anyone anyone to go on to and also we we if you don't want to contribute cash to us we're quite happy to contri- accept code for contributions Okay. Uh, we do get regular contributions from different people to fix different issues or to ask, suggest new features or even add networks. Okay. I've been trying to get in that habit. If I find something that's wrong, I try to figure it out, issue a pull request. That way I'm not saying like, hey, your stuff is broken. I'm just saying like, hey, here's how you fix it. You know, that way you can uh, just merge that in if that looks good. and But make sure you follow the rules that we talked about earlier in the show. <laughs> So let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about add duplex now. So can you tell us what uh, add duplex is and how it works? Sure. So add duplex is a cross promotion network for Windows and Windows Phone. Um, it's different from, you know, PubCenter and Smato and all the other regular ad providers because instead of monetizing off the ads you're going to display, you're instead cross promoting your own app. So the way it works is you put the add duplex control into your app. And for every 10 impressions your app displays of some other ad duplex app, the other apps in the network will display an ad for your app eight times. So you hopefully are getting more users instead of getting revenue. And we found that you know ad duplex just works really well with ad rotator as a fallback option. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to mess around with all the different providers, maybe you can just do pub center and add duplex, and you know your ad's always showing something. If you're not generating revenue, then hopefully you're getting new users instead. So why would I want to use this if I'm already displaying ads? Uh, um, like I said, the most ad providers don't have 100% fill rate, so you're not always going to be displaying ads if you're just sticking to the traditional providers. So add duplex works great as just that fallback option so that you're always doing something with that space in your app. Well, and I sort of see this as as reinvesting in your app, right? So you, exactly. if you're if you're just displaying apps, you're you're not really getting new users. But if you can get if you can re, sort of reinvest and get you know a hundred new people to use your app, then they could see yet a you know then they could see an ad mm-hmm. and and it sort of helps you know grow that whole thing. Sure. Well, this is it. Uh, another well, thing you might find is oh. that you know there might be certain regions that don't have a really good fill rate or they have very low ECPM, you know the amount of money you're getting per ad. So you might decide that in those regions you just want to use ad duplex all the time because that way you're getting more users everywhere and you're not right. losing out on much monetization. Yeah, because there's one good thing about ad duplex is that you're guaranteed an ad almost one hundred percent time unless you have no network, and then that's a bit of a problem uh, if you're going through on the tube or the train or anything else. But, yeah, it is one that's that primary fallback. But we've also seen other scenarios where the one thing with that is that you you live and die by the impressions that you serve. So if you only got 100 users, you're not going to get much ad revenue. So if, for, say, your first, say, six months, you throw ad duplex in there to basically grow your user base to get your app in front of more people out there who are going to install it. And then if you simply flip it over, the user is completely unaware that there's different ads showing that, that you know, they're used to the ads that they're there. Um, they can start like generate generating revenue, and we've seen quite a few people do this on a regular basis to have a month here and there where they just say, right, well, today I'm turning off money. I'm actually going to kind of get more users. Okay, so I'm just thinking through, you know, whenever my app is first getting started, and and I'm I don't have a lot of traction in the sort of in the early days. I know that you know you guys mentioned that you get uh, it's eight free ads for every ten. Um, uh, what is it? Eight free ads for every 10 that your app shows. So whenever your app isn't showing a whole lot, you know, you're not, you're not getting much traction in those, those other apps, um, you know, showing that your ad in theirs. 
is there are there any other options or you know to sort of get started there to help promote your app yeah uh you should really just view ad duplex as one of many things in your you know marketing arsenal that you can do yeah. to promote your app um you can get a lot of traction from getting your app reviewed on wp central or writing your own article to get posted to wm power user just you know really good websites that people go to to find out about new apps and what you might do is say i just released this new app i'm going to get featured on wp central and then i'm going to set ad duplex as the main provider when using ad rotator so that way let's say i get 10,000 users coming in from wp central generate like 50,000 ad impressions during that first day instead of that being just a one-time burst of 10,000 users you would get you know, 40,000 impressions being displayed, and you would kind of get a long trail of more users coming into your app as opposed to just you know, a one-day burst from the new okay, site. Okay, so I should have something sort of kickstart the whole process, and then this will be extremely useful. Right. Okay. So if I have an app that I'm preparing um, to release, and I don't, and I want to like save up some ad impressions for that one, is there a, a mechanism to kind of accumulate credits and use them later, or is that not how the system works? Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the way it works, because if you could do that, everyone would probably want to save up their impressions. Oh, there'd be an imbalance. Yeah. yeah, everyone would want to show them around holiday time when people are getting new phones. But what you can do instead is if you have multiple apps, let's say you already have one that's successful, um, and you can divert all the impressions from that app into your new app. So it'll kind of help your new app get kickstarted off the ground by receiving all the impression, you know, karma coming from your main app. So you would change the your ads that would get displayed. Right. You just go into your ad duplex account um, and you go into your app that you have that's already established and popular and you could change its ad banner and change the uh, the URL that it directs users to. Oh, also the other thing as well, you can also buy them as well. And I know I did that so in the beginning. If you look at it as a pure marketing exercise, you can actually buy campaigns or large collections of ads to actually use in the net, use in the network. And I think AdDuplex even has um, offers on every now and again where you can buy, you can actually buy impressions at a reduced rate to then try and promote your app. Yeah. Okay. Um, to add to that, I actually have, uh, as an MVP, AdDuplex has been giving out um, vouchers to do ad duplex campaigns for a while so if anyone maybe shares the link to this podcast on twitter uh, i could give them a voucher for that if they just reach out to me on twitter i'm gonna do that (laughs) uh, i've just i've just retweeted that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and one of the cool things also with the campaigns is you can do some a b testing so if you want to say you know come up with two or three different ads that you might display for your app you could create a campaign, one using each ad, put in the same amount of money and find out which one does best for you. Okay. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. It's, it's probably, I probably sound like I'm on an infomercial or something, but I'm just excited <laughs> about this. Cause like I said, I, I was, I was about to figure out how I was going to do this, uh, for my app. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. It is hard to talk about ads without trying to sound like a salesman. Know, at all. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, as we see, especially in gaming development, I mean, app development is no different, is that you have to think about your monetization for your story for your, app, for your app or game from the very beginning, not just as an afterthought when you're going through. You need to look at how you're going to get money back for what you're investing, even if you're giving it for free. Yep. Oh, wait, um, there's more. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I actually... Um... One thing that uh, I know Paul Thurot has pointed out in the um, in the Windows 8 applications, if you look at uh, the the Bing apps, they're rebranded now. I think the MSN apps, uh, they have ads integrated and they do such a good job of sort of making them blend in. I think Carl maybe has even mentioned it before, but they're sort of um, it, it is it is a little annoying period that there's there's ads in those apps. But they do it in such an elegant way that it, it's it's really just a non-issue the way that they incorporate them in. But they're probably also pretty effective, I would think, the, the way that they have them integrated in there. So it, I could definitely see how it's a balancing act. Yeah, it's, it's certainly one of the hardest choices, especially if you're going to do ads, is that you don't want to annoy users because mm-hmm. the moment you annoy user, that's it. That's your fast track for uninstall. Exactly. So you want, exactly. You want, yeah, you want it. If you're having it on all the time, it's in a non a non-obvious area that's not going to interfere with the main or the game part of the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some Windows 8 apps, they basically they use tiles. We, we have a lot of places where they actually have several tiles 
around their dashboard, and then each of the showing different styles of ads. In fact, some pages actually have multiple ads showing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Sneaky trick. Yeah. Yes, you don't have to have just one version of Route Rotator in your project. You could actually have several <laughs> running at the same time. As long so long as they are presenting on screen, um, providers do keep a check on when you're and do randomly do testing occasionally for apps and ads that are actually showing to make sure that you are displaying those. Oh, that's, there's always screen. a catch. <laughs> yes, you, you must be displaying. I mean, yes, you could potentially have ad rotator could run in completely background, but most controls <laughs> do test to make sure they have visibility. Right, right. Uh, you can't completely well, that's cheat. Good. Cheat that's good, out. though. As, as somebody who uh, you know may want to purchase a couple of these credits here to, to display my my ad in in uh, other applications and uh i guess my my next big app idea is one that that is just ads that's like the whole purpose of it. <laughs> hey, you're stealing my idea. I, I, do, I, I did once have an idea for a game of guess which is not the right ads. You show four ads and one's not real. <laughs> and so if, if, someone, if someone clicks on it, yeah, they got it right. If they click it wrong, hey, I've got a click impression. There we go. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably against some of the rules, though, because I know you, you can't. Yeah. Yeah, I know like Google ads doesn't allow you to draw like unnecessary attention or or say like, oh. hey, check out these ads. You know, like they have a bunch of strict well, rules around it. There is actually a new um, worldwide legislation which first sort of start off in Europe, which everyone really must put, draw to, draw attention to. And I'm, I'll send you the link to it after the show because okay. you can circulate it. Um, is that there are regulations around ads. You can't have it so for, you can't basically can't have it so that people you are, are forced to click on an ad. People are not haven't got any other option to go when an ad is displayed. You have to be responsible with your ads. And this also goes for in-app purchases. So you can't have it so that an in-app purchase button will pop up and force someone to buy something when they don't want to. Uh, you can actually get penalized and then taken to court now if you do this on a bad enough basis. So Zynga, watch out. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything you guys? Uh, anything else you guys want to mention about Ad Duplex or Ad Rotator? Uh, well, I suppose one thing for Ad Rotator is that um, we're not limited to just well, we are limited to advertising Windows platforms, but we also support several different frameworks. So um, we also have a, a plugin for Unity, so you can build Unity games using Ad Rotator. Okay. And also, Rob is now working on a Xamarin version. Not didn't start on it yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be in the mm-hmm. works soon. It's, um, also, it's all in our spare time, so we work yeah. fast when we can. And Excellent. one other thing I would like to mention is, you know, uh, I'm now an ad duplex developer advocate, and we have a promotion that if you are deciding to start your account with ad duplex and start using that to promote your apps, um, I have a promotional code I can give you during account creation that will give you uh, a 9 to 10 ratio instead of the 8 to 10 ratio for mm. the first six months. So if they just if anyone listening to the show just asks for me for the code on Twitter, you can contact me at Rob W. Irving or email me at rob.irving at catchyagency.com. Well, that counts me out. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think my account number is in the hundreds, so that's how early I've been using it. Okay. Pretty cool. Should we move on to the Azure Pick of the Week? Okay, so my Azure pick of the week is kind of interesting because it's not something you normally think of with Azure. This is relatively new, which is Docker. And Docker is a uh, container framework for deploying applications quickly on, uh, I think it's basically Linux only. And uh, I'm definitely not a Docker expert, but it's, uh, you know, it's a way of sort of isolating your application and making it, like I said, so you can deploy them very quickly. And um, um you know, it, it, it takes with it all of the, you know, all of the pieces that your application needs and just hooks into the the platform where needed. And, uh, Azure recently added full support for Docker. I know there's, um, a partnership with Docker. So there's a whole bunch of cool things out of that. We're going to include a link to that in the show notes that kind of walks through what that really means, but it's basically just a, I think it represents kind of an ongoing commitment uh, for Azure to support whatever is popular, you know, whatever, whatever thing really takes off, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what platform it is. Azure is going to stand behind what the community is asking for. And Docker sort of just came out of nowhere, at least from my perspective, and just took off um, sort of overnight. And uh, this is great that, that, you know, at least in my eyes, this didn't take very long to get um, to get first party support here. So this is pretty cool. And then uh, I also wanted to mention this is kind of neat, you know, speaking of sort of uh, application containers, there's a Microsoft research project called Drawbridge, 
And this is from a few years back, and it's sort of a, a similar concept. I don't think there's any, um, I don't know if there's anything you can download on this, but it's just kind of neat uh, academically to read about. It's it's a similar model where you can have, you know, an application running on Windows and it's um, it's isolated. And I know there's there's a whole bunch of uh, things out there. There's a there's a Channel 9 video sort of explaining it. And then there's a whole bunch of diagrams out there talking about how it works. So it's just sort of um, uh, a similar well, sort of similar yet dissimilar uh, container framework. So I just thought it was uh, interesting reading. Yeah, I also believe that uh, it was announced this week there is some sort of partnership between Docker and Microsoft where future versions of Azure will uh, have that uh, built in. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it's it's right here. So there's um, so there's there's four different announcements. There's investments in the next wave of Windows Server. So there's actually Windows Server changes for for Docker. Uh, that's oh, okay. the one I, I oh, was that, okay. Of. It was Windows yes. Server, and then there's open source yep. development of the Docker engine for Windows Server, um, and then Azure support for the Docker Open Orchestration APIs, and then Federation of Docker Hub images into the Azure Gallery and Portal. So you just go into the portal and you say, you know, give me this image. And what's cool about it, instead of deploying in you know a couple minutes where you have to fire up a whole Windows instance, it just takes you know a few seconds. I haven't I haven't really played with it, but the, the you know what. What it's supposed to do is you you say, give me one of those and it'll take a few seconds and it'll be available to you. Any other comments on that? Good stuff. Uh, no, app of the week. The oh, go ahead, nope. Simon. Oh, no, go on. I was going to say, it is quite good. I'm sure so .NET in, intertwined in there somewhere as well. Some .NET support with Docker, but I guess that's around the hosting side. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen anything regarding .NET support. Um, right now, I mean, it's showing the, the Docker client on top of Windows Server with the Docker engine. And there's, you know, container support on Windows, but I'm, I haven't seen anything around uh, .NET support. Um, let's see here. It says familiar with languages such as .NET, but I think that I think that's for the automation portion. So I'm no, gonna, right, yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to have to do a little bit more reading and figure out how this works. But, you know, I, I wanted to give everybody kind of an early uh, heads up rather than uh, waiting a month to talk about it. It's a cool announcement. Okay, so let's talk about the app of the week. What do you got, Carl? Uh, this week's app of the week is Copilot GPS. And uh, ironically, we have one of the developers on the show. Um, I found this a few weeks ago. I had heard of it before, but I was before I was fairly happy with the built-in uh, Microsoft and Nokia uh turn by turn directions right. but there's always been there's always been a few quirks about it like one of the things i really don't like is if you're listening to a podcast or something and they give a, a directions well they cut off your podcaster music but it still plays underneath while oh, they're talking yes. so if they have if they have 10 <laughs> seconds worth of directions it you miss 10 seconds worth of content and what's really nice is one of the many awesome things about this is it gets that right. You know, it'll it'll just lower the volume a little <laughs> bit and, you know, say it in a nice soft voice. You know what's there. Um, there was a lot of that is that is awesome. Features. Don't. Yeah, we should talk about that for like 10 minutes. <laughs> you know how <laughs> that is? Because I, I get oh, yeah, yeah, cause I get that in my in my van, too, because the the uh, I have the the Garmin. It's built into the, the Kenwood head unit and I can play the the Bluetooth podcast through that. But then whenever the GPS directions come on, it just, you know, mutes my phone completely, but it doesn't pause. And I never understood why it doesn't just pause my podcast. Plus it screams at you. It always screams the directions at you because you've got your volume just set right for listening to it. And then it's just like, full volume. Yeah, actually, this one lets me set the the volume independently. So I can I can actually adjust that, which is pretty nice. But uh, but the fact is, you know, they'll be like, you know. And now let's talk about the coolest thing that happened this week. And it's like, turn left in 300 <laughs> feet onto Willems Boulevard. And it's like, what? And then they come back and you have no idea what they're talking about. That happens every time. Well, you listen to the Windows Weekly yeah. show then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a, a few of the other cool things is like it displays your speed right when you're about ready to go too fast. <laughs> so, you know, it's not not necessarily there all the time and always in your face. It's fairly clean, but it brings up certain information like right as you need it. I've noticed when I was uh, going on, uh, getting ready for off-ramps, it would kind of zoom in on the off-ramp to make it more clear, like exactly how I should drive, especially if there was some weird overpass. Just a lot of, you know, dozens of really nice, thoughtful features has been built into this. And um, it's available not just for Windows Phone, but for Android, iOS, I think even desktop. Um, uh, a really great job all around. And it was fairly inexpensive for, you know, considering that, you know, five years ago, a GPS, you know, unit itself would cost a couple hundred bucks. This was $10. Okay. Well spent. And is that, um, 
is that like 10 bucks and it, it lasts forever how does that work let's ask yeah so it's uh ten dollars will get you uh north american map data for life uh okay. there's also a traffic service which i think is uh eight or ten dollars a year but that's really worthwhile to get uh, our traffic info and that'll redirect you i, I think it said yeah it, traffic yeah it'll reroute you around the traffic um and one of the coolest new features we have is uh, something called Commute Me, where we track um, when you're going from home to work so that we actually you know, see which route you prefer when going from home to work. Because I know a lot of apps will just kind of give you a route and you have no interest in following that because you, know, you have the certain highway you like to follow when you're going into the office each morning. And we'll remember that for you. And the benefit of that when you have the traffic service is we're telling you, yes, there's traffic on the route you actually plan on driving. So you should take this other route today. Okay. I'm clicking purchase right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A- another feature that I thought was great because I had a, a six hour each way uh, commute was the reason why I bought this. And in the middle, I was able to just say, hey, I need to stop at a gas station. And I was able to very quickly, because I have a car mount, just make a couple of taps and it was in- able to add that in the middle of my route. I didn't have to change that to be my destination like other GPS um, applications. Can you queue up like multiple destinations and have it tell you the best route? Yes, you can. Yes. Okay. Sorry yeah. if you already said that. I was, I'm seriously installing it right now. So, Does it also come with the option to, uh, when you're going around the country areas, right. not to go down that little one-way dirt track? That's going to make you run into a tractor. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> what's, what's frustrating about, um, uh, what is it, the Nokia Maps that I found is it will, um, the whole toll road thing. So if you're in like Houston, uh, I'm, I, in Houston, I want to avoid toll roads cause there's, they have a whole bunch of roads and the toll roads aren't, and at least in my experience, aren't any better than the non-toll roads. Same with, um, uh, sort of out in, out in Washington near the Redmond area. Uh, a lot of times, you know, it's, it takes you like five extra minutes to go, uh, in 90 instead of the 520 as an example. But here, uh, in Wisconsin, whenever I go down to Illinois, like the toll roads are a million times better than any other way. So I have to sit there and sort of turn that on and off. So I don't know if this handles that any better. I, I know we do have options for avoiding toll roads. I'm not sure if you can set it per state, but okay. yeah. Yeah, because in, in Illinois, you don't want to avoid them because they're impossible to avoid. But okay. I want to avoid them pretty much everywhere else. Right. <laughs> That's a feature idea yeah. for you. I'm probably the Remember only the- one. Remember the old TomTom systems? They they give you the choice when you plan the route, but that that kind of option seems oh, to have disappeared nice. in yeah. modern ones. Yeah, modern ones nice. these days. Okay, I got it on here. I'm showing you proof. Awesome. <laughs> there we go. I got it on there, so I'm going to give it a try because I I actually I literally I just I still travel with my uh, with my Garmin whenever I go somewhere just because of uh, some of the annoyances with the with the other one because the the Nokia Maps comes pretty darn close to being as good as my Garmin. But um, if this is just a tiny, if this is 10% better than that, then I'm sold. It's way more than 10% better. I can say that. Okay, perfect. And then where do the maps actually come from? Um, In the U.S., it's our own map data, actually. Uh, We've been in the industry for years, and we have a lot of trucking companies that use our solution. So uh, we keep our maps pretty up to date. I think we have quarterly updates in the U.S., always improving it. Okay, cool, cool. What time is it over there, Simon? Uh, it's now steadfast approaching half past nine at night, and the kids should hopefully be just getting to bed. Okay. Seeing that at least two of them are not. Okay. Uh, Carl, are we ready for the game? Okay, yep. I'm going to shuffle the cards here, even though I've taken out the ones we've used, so I guess it doesn't matter. I'm going to make it completely random. So, Rob, why don't you go first? So pick a number between one and four. Four. Okay. Would you rather eat four slices of moldy bread or eat one <laughs> rotten apple? Uh, I think I'd take my chances with the apple. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One rotten apple. I think I'd eat the bread. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's I guess disgusting it either way. Yeah, I wonder how rotten the apple is, and I guess I'm, I wonder how moldy the bread <laughs> you mean, is. Is it a wormy apple, or is it an actual rotten apple? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I guess, that, you know, if it's getting close to maggots, then <laughs> <laughs> that, that would that would definitely push me toward the bread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just depends how thirsty you were before you had to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Simon, pick a number between one and four. Oh, go with one. One, okay. Would you rather memorize the Denny's menu word for word or repeat out loud the same one word of your choice 5,000 times? <laughs> I'd probably go with the one word 5,000 times because I'd remember it then. Yeah. <laughs> My memory is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. Man, we're four. cruising through the cards because we have so many people on here now. 
Okay, Carl, would you rather have to swallow a tiny worm with every meal you eat or let 10 flies walk over your every meal for an hour before you eat it? <laughs> Keep in mind that when they're walking over it, I'm sure that they are eating some of it and then throwing it back up. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it would depend, but I think I would choose the fly okay. one considering that I now live, you know, you know, it's semi-rural, but it's not in the country. Had I been at the like the farm I grew up on where the flies would be in all sorts of cow Okay. Stuff. I, I don't. I don't think I'd choose that, but I'd choose the fly one. Okay. Not to mention whether the uh, the worm is in tequila or not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Okay, that was good. That was good. Okay, so you can find me at whytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com/slash/whytechie. Where can they find you, Carl? I can be found at wpdevguy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay, and then for the show, uh, you can email feedback at msdevshow.com. And be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. And then make sure you go to the all new awesome msdevshow.com where you can leave comments. Uh, you can check out all the show notes of everything that we talked about. And then you can also uh, leave feedback. And then make sure you also go out to iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, and leave a review out there. That really helps us. I know we've gotten quite a few iTunes reviews finally. And uh, that's really starting to help uh, traffic from that source uh, pick up. So thanks to everybody who's doing that. Uh, where can they find more about you, Rob? I'm on Twitter at Rob W. Irving, and I blog at robwirving.com. Okay, what about you, Simon? I'm still the old one out there then. So on Twitter, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm at Simon Darkside, Darkside J, and my website is darkgenesis at zenithmoon.com. And one of these days, I'll remember to put a bit leaf about it. Oh, it's not a problem. Like I said, we'll have them in the show notes. So thank you guys so much for coming on here. This was uh, very timely. I learned a lot, so I really appreciate you guys coming on here to talk to us about this. Thanks for having us. Yeah.